You're listening to the Hillspring Church audio podcast. Hillspring exists so that all people can find and embrace a life of faith through Christ. For more information or to get involved, visit us on the web at hillspringchurch.org. Genesis 41. Today we're going to wrap up our look at the story of Joseph. Joseph was a young man, as you know, who had a dream. And through that dream, God revealed to Joseph that he had a special purpose for his life. To one day raise him to a position of power, even though we know that his brothers weren't a big fan of the plan that God had for his life. But despite the fact that God gave Joseph this special purpose in his life, the events that followed his dream, they didn't seem to make sense in light of what God said he would do in Joseph's life, did they? You know, you have this dream that God's going to raise you up to power and then everything that seemed to go on after that, not everything, there was little glimpses of hope, but it just seemed like he got beat down over and over again. And there had to have been times where Joseph was like, God, was that you really speaking to me? Do you really have a special purpose for my life? At the age of 17 years old, Joseph was rejected by his brothers and sold into slavery. And as a slave in Egypt, Joseph actually became successful and he was given responsibility over all of his master's possessions. However, he was wrongfully accused by his master's wife and thrown into prison. In prison, it happened again. He started to become successful and and the prison warden gave him uh, leadership over the entire prison. And it was there that he interpreted dreams for his prison mates He established a connection with one of the Pharaoh's men who could help him get out of prison. And yet, as we know, he didn't get out. Instead, he was completely forgotten about for two whole years. So many things in Joseph's life we can relate to. You know, being rejected, going through hardship, being forgotten about, not having our plans happen the way we hope they will happen. And yet we know that God has a special plan and purpose for our lives. And so Joseph didn't get out and said he was completely forgotten about for two whole years until finally, as we saw last week in God's timing and in God's way, Joseph was released from prison and put into the service of Pharaoh himself. And just listen to what the Pharaoh of Egypt said to Joseph. I mean, this is a classic ending to a hard-lived life, right? Joseph was put in charge in Genesis 41, beginning at 40, 41, 41, 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the people shouted before him, make way for Prince Ali, I mean, Joseph. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Haniah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went out throughout the land of Egypt. 
He was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. What an amazing spot in his life. He's now 30 years old. He's been through so much pain and so much suffering. But yet God worked through his circumstances and raised him up in power as second to none other than the Pharaoh himself. If you recall from our story last week, Joseph was given his position by Pharaoh because of a solution that he proposed to Pharaoh regarding the dream that Pharaoh had, right? Joseph predicted through, his, through Pharaoh's dream that the, the nation would have seven years of abundance followed by seven years of terrible famine. And so Joseph gave him this, he essentially consulted with the Pharaoh and, and proposed something to him. And the Pharaoh was so impressed that he put him in power. Well, now that Joseph was in power, it was time to get to work on his plan. And that's what he did. Joseph's prediction came true and Egypt enjoyed seven whole years of just incredible abundance. And Joseph collected the abundance just as he suggested and stored it up in the cities. The writer of Genesis says that there was so much food, in fact, that it was like the sand of the sea. It was beyond measure that there was so much food that came in. Not only was the land abundant, so was Joseph's personal life. He was given a wife and together they had two children, two sons. And everything was going so well, better than anyone could have imagined. Joseph was on top of the world. But this isn't the point of the story. This isn't the end of the story. This is where the story would end if this was a movie script, right? No, and Joseph was blessed and he had everything going well and he lived happily ever after. But God didn't bring Joseph through all of that hardship and raise him to power so that Joseph could bask in his power. God didn't raise Joseph to power for the sake of power. He had a greater plan in mind. Well, after the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, seven years of famine followed. Again, just as Joseph had said. Now the famine, it wasn't limited to Egypt alone. Rather, it hit the rest of the world around Egypt. And things became so bad that people from Egypt and all around Egypt came to Joseph to buy grain that he had stored up during the seven years of abundance. And this is how the story begins to come together. Genesis 42, 1. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and ask God to speak to us. God, we thank you so much for your great love for us, your love for the world. We thank you that we can come and hear from you and we ask that you would speak to us this morning, God. Open our hearts and our ears to hear from you. And God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and in our church. And God, we just pray that you would continue to build your church and make this a place where anyone can walk in and just be met with your love, we pray. Speak to us in your name. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Genesis 42.1. When Jacob, Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, I love this, why do you just keep looking at each other? 
He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So as we heard that the famine hit, not just Egypt, the land around, including the land of Canaan, the place where Joseph was from and where his family still lived. So Joseph's father, Jacob, sends 10 of Joseph's brothers off to Egypt to buy food. However, the youngest, Benjamin, stayed behind because Jacob was terrified that something would happen to Benjamin the same way that something had happened to Joseph. Verse 6, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. And he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now notice that in this moment, Joseph's dream was fulfilled. He was in power and exactly what happened in the dream had come true. His brothers were there bowing down before him. His brothers are doing what they said would never happen. They were bowing at his feet, pleading for food for their lives because they were in tremendous need. They didn't yet know that it was Joseph they were bowing before, but Joseph knew it was them. And and then a long and sort of strange series of events happens that I'm going to summarize for you this morning, but you can read about this week if you like. Joseph accuses them of being spies and requires that they go back and get Benjamin to prove that their story is true. And uh, we don't know why he did this, but I suspect it's because he wanted to see his brother. And he wanted to make sure his brother was, in fact, alive and okay. I mean, the last time he left his brothers, what kind of people were they? They were right on the edge of being murderers, right? That was the plan. And at the last minute, they decided to sell him into slavery. And so he was probably concerned for his brother's life and he tells them that they need to go back and get their other brother. He gives them grain to take back, but he doesn't take their money. Well, he takes it, but then he puts it back in their bags without them knowing it and they return home. And and as they're telling their father about everything that happened and as they're unpacking their sacks, they find the silver that they were supposed to give to Joseph to pay for the grain in their sacks. And they're terrified because now they believe that Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph, but they, know, they think that Joseph assumes that they stole the grain from him and left. And yet they're supposed to return with Benjamin. Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go. And the guys, his brothers don't want to go either because they're absolutely terrified about what will happen if they go. But eventually they begin to run out of food. The famine continues to take its toll on them and they have no other choice but to go back to Egypt and request more food. And so Jacob sends them back with double the silver as well as a number of other gifts, hoping to pay and, and, you know, make things right with Joseph. And when they arrive in Joseph's presence again, he orders that a meal be prepared and that they come And they eat with him. And again, the brothers are terrified because they believe that Joseph is planning to attack them and force them into slavery for what they've done. Well, Joseph's attendant assures them that they in fact did receive the money and that if they found money in their bags, that God had put it back. And 
And so they meet with Joseph and they bow down before him again. And they're astonished when Joseph just blesses them with this great feast. And then Joseph sends them away again. And again, he puts the silver back in their bags and as well as his silver goblet that was his unique cup. But this time he sends his servant after them to find the silver and accuse them of stealing. And when they're brought back before Joseph, Joseph insists that Benjamin be left behind as a slave. Their worst nightmare was coming true. One of the brothers, Judah, he begs Joseph for mercy and he pleads with Joseph to allow him to take Benjamin's place. Why was Joseph doing all of this? Again, we don't exactly know, but the point seems to be that Joseph wants them to all be begging for mercy, but not for the reason that you might think. So they're all at the mercy of Joseph. Joseph has his brothers now bowing before him and the brothers who broke his heart and caused him so much pain and suffering. And what would you do if you had the people who hurt you most in life at your mercy? Finally, he can give them all exactly what they deserve. And it's in this moment that he reveals who he is. And in Genesis 45, 4, we read that Joseph breaks down and he weeps. And he says, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now do not be dismayed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. With the brothers on their knees in front of him, when he could finally get them back for all that they had done and all the pain that they caused him, all that Joseph wants them to do is to come close to him, to forgive them and to encourage them to forgive themselves. Why? Well, Joseph explains in verse seven, he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And what he was saying is that God had a plan all along to work through the evil actions of Joseph's brothers. He used the very things that they did to hurt Joseph to save them. And we may ask, well, how is that justice? How is justice being served? How is a just God enforcing justice in this situation? Shouldn't they have had to pay for their actions? No. And here's why. Because justice was served. How? Because in his love for his brothers, Joseph paid the price for their actions. Justice was served. The payment for their actions was paid. It's just that Joseph was the one who willingly took that price upon himself in his love for them. There was no debt remaining. Despite their evil actions, as Joseph laid down his life, God brought about salvation for his brothers. 
That's pretty incredible. Well, after reconciling with his brothers, Joseph tells his brothers to go and tell their father about everything and to bring him back to live in the land of Egypt. And so that's what happens. The entire family returns to live under the provision of Joseph in the land of Egypt. If we think back to the very beginning of the story, the brothers, they hated the fact that Joseph dreamt that he would rule over them because they thought that the purpose would be to subdue them, right? To exercise power over them and subdue them. But what they didn't understand was that their, it was their evil actions that would result in Joseph's power and his rise to power. So that one day, not so that he could subdue them, but one day when they were in great need, Joseph's power would be that which would save them. And we began this series by saying how many of the details of Joseph's story point to Jesus. And I don't think there's a more beautiful depiction of the love of Christ than what we see in this story today. That God would love those selfish, hateful brothers so much and Joseph would submit to God's plan that he would be rejected by them and bear the pain of their rejection in prison so that God would eventually use their own actions to raise their brother up so that he could save them and bless them. Is that not love? Is that not love to know ahead of time that that people on this earth would would commit such evil and yet love them so much that he would plan to use their evil to be the process which actually leads to their salvation? That's love. And this is exactly what God has done for all of us through Christ. I want to read you a passage from Isaiah that describes exactly what God would do for the world through Jesus. This was written before Jesus, and so it's, it's saying what he would do through the coming Messiah. And listen to the similarities to Joseph's story. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 4. Isaiah writes about the Messiah, about Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like, led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession the transgressors. It's a long description, but it's explaining how, how God's will was that even though the world would reject Christ himself, God would use the very rejection of Christ to, to raise Jesus up and bring about salvation for the world. See, while we spent a number of weeks relating to what Joseph has gone through, and surely we relate to what Joseph has gone through. We've all gone through hardship. We've all known what it is like to struggle and still maintain our faith. But what we can't miss is the fact that we are also the brothers. We're also the brothers. As part of broken humanity, we are evil, broken people who choose in choosing to live our lives for ourselves have rejected Christ and had him nailed to the cross. And yet God planned all along to use the very evil of the world to bring about our salvation. And Christ submitted himself to his father's plan, giving himself up for us, bearing our sins so that God would raise him up, not to bask in power, not to subdue us, but so that in our time of need, when we finally recognize our moral depravity, instead of giving us what we deserve, he calls us to himself. And he forgives us. And he encourages us to forgive even ourselves so that we may be saved and live under his provision and care. Is that not the amazing love of God? We may say, well, what about justice? How do I forgive myself? Shouldn't I get what I deserve? Or we might point fingers and say, shouldn't those people get what they deserve? But we have to remember that justice has been served. Jesus paid for our sins. He paid for the sins of the whole world by willingly taking the pain and the suffering that we caused on himself all the way to the grave. This is the thing. Jesus suffered because of us, yet he suffered for us that when we come to him for mercy, we may be saved. Jesus suffered because of us, yet Jesus suffered for us so that when we come to him in need of mercy, we may be saved. And so there's no reason to fear turning to God. There is no guilt you may feel in your heart today that should keep you from, from coming to God and bowing before him and asking for his mercy. As much evil as you may have done, God wants you to come close to him this morning. And he wants you to know that you are forgiven. 
And he even wants to encourage you to forgive yourself, to stop carrying around the guilt and the shame that you've been holding onto because he's already paid the price willingly for you. Because he planned all along to bring about your salvation. Would you stand with me? Christine's going to come. We're going to move into communion. And as she plays this song, I just want to encourage you to, you don't have to bow in the room, but to bow your hearts before God this morning and say, God, maybe you have never done that before. I want to encourage you not to fear turning to God anymore. You to know, I hope that you've gotten a glimpse of his love this morning and that you would bow your heart before him and say, God, all I can do is depend on your mercy and receive your forgiveness. Because God is calling you to come close to him this morning. If you've done that in the past, but guilt and shame has been building up in your life, God says, I want you to come close to me this morning. I've forgiven you and you can forgive yourself.